here at St. Paul's. It's great to be here this Sunday morning. And busy as well. I thought it was going to be empty, bear in mind. People have got back from new wine, tired, hungry, because you don't eat that well there. But it's great to see you this morning. We've all got those favourite stories, haven't we, that we roll out when we're reminiscing, when we're having friends over for dinner. We've been seeing some great friends over the past few days, and there's always certain stories that are guaranteed to come out when we're together. One of them is one of those stories that starts, do you remember the great kebab miracle? Now, you're all intrigued. I won't go into it. But do you remember the great kebab miracle we experienced together? There's another story that is always guaranteed to come out. Do you remember that time we went skiing in Austria? We've been skiing, Karen, myself, and another couple... And we got had down the slopes, we got off the slopes, and we'd gone into the swimming pool. We've gone from the swimming pool, we've gone into the sauna, and we're just there having a laugh, chatting. And then we noticed this elderly guy come in, long grey hair, these very bright yellow flip-flops. And he just walks up to us, and he, he starts looking at us as I'm pointing and raising his voice. And we're just looking straight into his eyes. We're not trying to stare him out. It was the fact that he was stark naked. And basically, he was telling us you should not be wearing clothes in the sauna, at which point we made a speedy exit. But these stories always come out whenever we're together. And this is one of those stories. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of those stories that just got retold. I'm sure everyone in this room would have heard that story at some point in their life before today. It's told to children, it's told in schools, and it's a key story because it speaks of the character of God. There's other key stories in the Bible. We've got the story of the Good Samaritan that gets told once in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus. We've got the story of the prodigal son, about the son that goes away from his father, spends all his money, but then comes back. That's a key story. It's told once in the Gospels. There's the famous story of the sheep and goats that's told once in the Gospels. But this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is told four times. Each of the Gospel writers tells this story. Because it's a story that speaks of the character of God that just shows his extreme generosity, his open-handedness, his selfless giving to us, the extreme generosity of God. And that's what I want to draw out from this story today, the extreme generosity of God. Just to give you a bit of background to where we're at in chapter of John 6, it's the season of Passover, it's springtime in Israel, and... It's one of the key religious festivals of the day. So lots of the people would have been taking leave from work. They'd have been gathering with their families and they would have been heading to Jerusalem. That's where they were at. En route to Jerusalem, the families, the roads would have been busy. There would have been donkey tailbacks going all the way to Jerusalem, past the Sea of Galilee. And they would have been traveling. It was Passover, a fantastic festival, lots of feasting going on, lots of fasting in preparation for the celebration. It was also a time of popularity for Jesus. If you were to read the chapters before this and the verses before this, you'd see that Jesus had been healing people. It only doesn't happen at New Wine. It was happening back then. It was happening in Ealing, no doubt, whilst you're all at New Wine, or many of you. You know, God's a God of Sheps and Mallet as much as he's the God of Ealing. He's not geographically, um, whatever the word is, constricted. You know, God's God wherever we may be. God's still working. And Jesus' popularity was rising, healing people. The lame were able to walk, the blind were able to see. Wherever Jesus was, there was crowds. And we know how it works, a crowd gathers a crowd. Jesus was very popular. So all that's going on, but also at the same time, there are certain people mourning. We know that John the Baptist 
had just been beheaded by King Herod. Now John the Baptist, a great friend of Jesus, had just been beheaded. So there was mourning. John the Baptist was an inspiration to the Jewish people, morally and religiously. They were looking to him. There's something special about him. So people were affected by that. So you've got all of this going on in this story. I want to read from um, the account of the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew. It says, When Jesus heard what had happened, the beheading of John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So Jesus just heard that his dear friend John had been killed, and he wanted to get away, understandably. Now he gets in the boat with his disciples. He liked having his disciples with him, around him. His life was a life of teaching and demonstration. And he gets in the boat and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds see that Jesus is disappearing away. So what do they do? They follow him. They walk what people think was probably about four miles in the heat of the Israel sun. They walk around the coastline, keeping Jesus in view in the boat. And when Jesus goes to this solitary place to have this time alone to grieve, the crowds turn up. You know, he can't get away from the crowds. And what was his reaction when the crowds were there? Was it one of anger? I'm sure we could relate to that. We just want time away. Was it one of irritation? I could definitely um, side with him if that was the case. But that wasn't. We see from the next line in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus looked at the crowds and had compassion on them. This is this extreme generosity of God. The extreme generosity of Jesus. That he could see that the crowd were there because they had a need. They had a need to understand what was going on. But they would have had physical needs as well. Jesus was drawn to them. He had this generosity of character, this compassion of God for the people that were gathering there. Jumping back to John's Gospel, we can pick up the story there as well. When Jesus looked and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. It was a test for Philip. Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, picture the scene again. Jesus has come away from probably the hustle and bustle of one area of the Sea of Galilee, where there would have been shops, there would have been merchants selling stuff, the crowds of people, and he's gone to a solitary place. We know he's gone to a solitary place because it tells us that. And my guess would be that this solitary place would be a place without merchants, without shops. Yet he asked Philip this question. Where will we buy enough bread for these people to eat? Philip would have thought about it and his reaction, his response is, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have their bite. He didn't quite get the test of the question. For him, he would have been thinking, hang on a minute, Jesus, I've seen what you can do. Why are you asking such a question as that? So he comes up with an equally a silly response. And then the next thing that happens is, Andrew's there, one of the disciples, and he sees a little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. So he, he directs this boy over to Jesus. I'd read into the story a bit and think, Philip's probably thinking, for some reason, I'm feeling stupid. I don't know quite why, but something's gone wrong. Yet here he sees Andrew turning up with five pieces of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people. So he's thinking, Andrew, don't make the same mistake that I just made. You're going to make a fool of yourself. But to me, it's almost a statement of faith. Now, Andrew turns up with this bread and fish, and he says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, that to me is faith, isn't it? Would you agree? 
There's 5,000 people. He thinks he's got a solution to this problem, but then he does his own leg thin in the very next breath when he says, but how far will they go among so many? He's got this faith on one hand, but he's got this doubt on the other hand. It's this but what if dilemma. I've seen, Jesus, I've seen the amazing things you've done because we've been hanging out with you, all these healings. The blind can see, the lame can walk, yet I'm not quite sure if actually you can solve this one. I heard a talk once, I think it was down at New Wine, strangely, and the speaker spoke, was speaking to about 5,000 people, so I think I can get away with it to about 250, and the vicar's not here. And he said, everyone's got butts. It's just that some people's butts are bigger than others. And in this situation, I think Andrew has got quite a big butt, hasn't he? He says, but how far will they go amongst us? He's got this faith, but he's also got this doubt. You know, there's a but. And isn't that the case in our lives? We see God work. We see God do things in our lives. And then when it comes to the next challenge, we're not quite sure if he can do it. You know, God promised this, but will he deliver? We bought a house, or we were looking to buy a house about 12 years ago. And at the time, we thought property prices were high. Now you really do need a miracle to get on the property ladder. But we thought they were high. And we prayed about where we'd like to live. And we even had a little map of the area on which we wanted to live. And amazingly, we were able to buy a house. And then over the next few weeks and months, we just had amazing provision. This extreme generosity of God, coupled with the extreme generosity of friends that came to, to help us sort this house out. Karen was about to give birth to Alice within like two weeks. And, um, you know, it was just amazing how we saw God's provision in that. And then the journey goes on and, you know, maybe sometimes that, that fades, the memory fades of how God's provided in the past. And about 18 months ago, we were looking to do a loft conversion. We've got four children. We're in a three-bedroom semi, uh, three-bedroom terraced house. Our daughter Alice is 11 and she's sharing with her brother and we thought we need to get her into her own bedroom. And just again, we had this situation where there was some amazing provision. We were able to do a loft and we were able to also extend our house that we never dreamt we'd be able to do. And we had a friend come over about 10 days ago to wallpaper a wall. It was beyond me, I, so I, I got in a professional, um, to wallpaper one wall, square and flat, but I needed help for that task. So we got Phil in, and Phil just, he helped us 11, 12 years ago to get the house ready. And he said, I just can't believe what you've done. You know, this is amazing. And his words was something similar to, this is more than the house, this is more than building work that's gone on. This is a story of God. And I so believe that, that when we look back in our lives, whatever it may be, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a relationship or a work situation, school, you know, when we look back, we can see this story of God plotted throughout. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, look what I've done and look what I can do. You know, and for each of us, God has that same promise because God's a God with extreme generosity that as we look to him, as we remember what he's done, or maybe you don't even think that God's done anything in your life. Maybe you haven't had that opportunity or you haven't taken that opportunity to trust him. Well, I'm sure there's tens of people in this room that can say, actually, I've seen God work. We've heard stories, haven't we? You know, we could have had more stories and then definitely I wouldn't have to stand here. But um, we can see these stories and hear how God exhibits this character through Jesus of extreme generosity. Jesus then moves on in his teaching into like his demonstration phase. He says, Andrew's brought the bread and two small fish up. And he said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. 
Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous sign that had just gone on. Jesus didn't just feed the people that were before him. His generosity went beyond that. He met the needs of the people and there was more left over. There's more left over to give away to those people that weren't part of that group. The overwhelming generosity through the miracle of God. A few days later, we see there's a, a bread theme going on here. Started with a great kebab miracle and carries on through Jesus' teaching. A few days later, we see Jesus feeding the 4,000, recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And it's almost identical to what we've read in John and also in Matthew. Jesus is up, up on the mountainside. Crowds are gathering. The crowds are growing because the crowd draws a crowd. Jesus is healing people. Blind people are healed. And then Jesus makes a statement. He says this. The people have been with him for three days. They haven't had any food. And he's now about to finish. And Jesus says, I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way home. It's a statement. I think Jesus is probably making a statement rather than asking a question because he wants the disciples at this point to take the initiative. They would have seen it happen a few days before. So you would have thought they'd just step in and say, don't worry about Jesus, we'll go and find what food we can and you do what you can do. But that's not the case. The next line says, his disciples answered. His disciples answered. I don't think they all would have said it at the same time. I think they'd like been a pregnant pause. And the disciples would have gathered together and thought, this is a bit of deja vu. Does anyone really remember what happened the other day? Anyone know what was going on? And they would have nominated a spokesperson. I don't think Philip or Andrew would have put their hand up at that point. But the disciples then do say this. They say, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? I don't think they hadn't quite caught it. What they'd seen before, I'm sure in the hearts of hearts, they've known that Jesus could have done it again, but maybe they just didn't have that faith to, to think that Jesus would do it again. And I can relate to that. I know that we've been in situations, I've been in situations where God's come through, but the next time, you know, I'm not sure if he will, or I'm not sure if he would have heard me. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? And the same story is acted out. Jesus takes seven pieces of bread this time, It gets multiplied, and everyone is fed, and everyone is satisfied, and there's some left over. This characteristic coming out again, the extreme generosity of God. And then the disciples, they get back in the boat. They sail back across the Sea of Galilee to leave this remote place. And you know there's going to be trouble when you read verse 5 of chapter 16. It says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. And you've got to start worrying when that's the case. They've just been part of these two amazing miracles over the past few days where bread has been multiplied and there's been bread left over. They've gathered it all up, yet somebody, whoever was in charge of the bread, the lunch, has forgotten to pick up bread to take back across on the boat. I guess if they probably hadn't eaten, Jesus hadn't eaten, someone was going to be in trouble. So what happens? The disciples talk amongst themselves, it says. And Jesus picks up on their conversation. He says, do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? The seven loaves for the 4,000? 
how is it that you don't get that I wasn't really talking about bread? Jesus was pointing to something more. Jesus was talking about this generosity that satisfied the needs of the people that looked to him. It wasn't just about the physical hunger. Jesus was demonstrating something that he was going to be speaking about later. The disciples hadn't heard it yet. But Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 6 near the end. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever, chapter 6, verse 35, I think it is. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's what Jesus was demonstrating. While there was thousands gathered, he was saying, I am the bread of life. Well, he wasn't saying it, he was demonstrating it. That he can fill the needs of the people through this extreme, overwhelming generosity. And then he speaks about it to the crowds and to the disciples. Now, it's not about bread physically, but it's about me. It's about me giving up my life that you may find wholeness, that you may be changed. And then we know from the, the communion service, what happens when we break the bread? It's my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what it was all about. Jesus' demonstration and teaching all linked together, teaching that point that Jesus and God are a compassionate, generous God to meet the needs of the people that come to him. Don't you get who I am? Don't you get this extreme generosity? Don't you get that God will take care of all your needs, whether big or small? You've seen the miracles, yet you still do not understand. Remember what's gone before and look, look ahead of what God can do. We see that generosity, that character, that compassion of Jesus and the nature of us in his disciples. I think we're reflected in those people standing there around him. Sometimes we don't get it, even after we've seen it. You know, I think our prayer should be, especially if you've been at New Wine this week, but what you've seen, don't forget it. Like Joe was saying, over the next year, being with Jesus and learn from him what he wants you to do. Experience something of that. Don't forget it. Write it down. Something that I'm not very good at. Jesus can work miracles with two fish, five loaves and two fish. And the heart of this story is the boy that bought the little he had to Andrew that then gave it to Jesus. And amazing things happen from that small thing that he had to offer. And so it is with us. If we offer the small things, God can do amazing things. God can feed 5,000 people on five bread and two fish. Now, I, I doubt that the boy was the only person out of the 5,000 that were gathered. We're told it's 5,000 men, so there could have been 20,000 people because the families would have been there. They'd have been en route to Jerusalem for this Passover feast. Potentially 20,000 people say, I doubt the boy would have been the only person with lunch on him. Would you agree? I'm sure, you know, if, if we're going out for a picnic or going on a long journey, our car is nearly full of lunch for six of us. Now, we could feed you all. And if we got stuck on the M1, it would make the news because we would feed the traffic jams. Now, I think the boy would not have been the only person. What are the odds of that? I looked up odds of 5,000 to 1 that he was the only person. I looked up some odds. And did you know that the odds of a hole-in-one in golf is 5,000 to 1 if you're a professional? 5,000 to 1 again a hole-in-one in golf. The odds of Swansea or Norwich winning the Premier League, 5,000 to 1. The odds of Manchester City, Manchester United or Chelsea becoming bottom of the Premier League, 5,000 to 1. The odds of cutting yourself shaving with a razor is 5,000 to 1. I'm not sure how they work that out. But the odds of cutting yourself with a chainsaw is 6,000 to 1. 
So my theory, being no mathematician, is it's safer to shave with a chainsaw than a razor. Would you agree? More expensive, petrol fumes, but that's the odds. I believe Jesus did multiply the foods, but I also believe that there was more people with food in that crowd. And what is the greater miracle? That Jesus transformed the bread and the fish to feed the multitudes, or that Jesus transformed hearts to get their food out and share it with others. This extreme generosity of God that had been captured when they saw this small boy bring the little he had to Jesus. I think people caught something of that generosity, and people then shared what they have. I don't think it was an either-or. I think it was a both-and. I think the boy was the catalyst with the touch of God that did the miracle that saw people, that generosity reflected amongst themselves. And people took out their food and shared it as well. I think that is also a great miracle that goes on in this passage. That there's a, the, selfless, the selfish outlook is turned into the selfless outlook where people are provided for. And the story is the story of 5,000 being fed, but it's the story of one. It's the story of the boy with the touch of God. It's the story of you and I. How do we reflect this generosity of God? Well, it's by knowing God, by knowing that character of God, and by being open to his spirit working within us to change our hearts. I work as a police officer, and sometimes we're in situations you know, where we get verbally abusive people, aggressive people, all that type of thing. And I think a key thing to breaking down arguments and just calming situations, you know, in whatever you do, whether it's at home or in the workplace, is by words of generosity. We can choose how we respond, can't we? We can inflame situations, which then inflames... There's something called the Pataris box, where my attitude affects your attitude, that affects my attitude, that affects your attitude, and it escalates. But words of generosity, being generous with our words, just undermine all of that, and they settle situations. You know, it's just a conscious choice sometimes to be generous in the things we do. At work, we have this room where we do um, our reports and things like that. Normally, at the end of the shift, we've got this Coke vending machine. People come in, and um, you know, someone says, I've only got 60p that I can borrow for the vending machine. I'll tap my pocket. I think, I've got some money. Um, but I know that if I give my 60p and they say, I'll pay you back, they won't pay me back. Does anyone else get that at work? I, so, I could, so I can choose to just stay quiet, or worse, I can say, sorry, mate, I, I haven't. Or the other situation is I give them my 60p, and they say, I'll pay you back. And then I feel obliged to say, oh, don't worry about it, it's only 60p. Now, I know within me, small acts of generosity can make a difference, and that I need God to do something with my heart to change this whole outlook, to move from this selfish characteristic to this selfless characteristic. Because small acts of generosity can have a massive impact on people. And I'm sure all of us can think of simple things in our day-to-day lives that, can, that can, um, we can do to reflect that extreme generosity of God in the way we react and we deal with other people. One boy brought the little he had, and the crowd saw that extreme generosity. 5,000 were impacted by one person. I believe we can be that one person. If we're open to God, if we're open to his spirit working inside us, We can be that one person that makes a change. Whether it's for 5,000 people or for one person, I don't think it matters. So as we affect one person, as one person sees something God in us, then others might see it in them. And I believe that what God wants to speak to us about in this passage today. Me being touched by God, you being touched by God, so we can reflect these characteristics 
of God when we go from this place. Should we stand together? I was told to be quick, because apparently Sheena is big into Grand Prix and needs to get back for the Hungarian Grand Prix. (laughs) Lord, we thank you that we can come here. Lord, to this church in Ealing, away from the field in Shepton Mallet. Lord, and that you are the God, Lord, that meets us wherever we're at if we're open to you. Lord, I pray as we stand before you now, Lord, that you'll just speak to each of us. Lord, that your spirit will touch hearts. Lord, that this extreme generosity that we see in John's Gospel, in in Matthew, Mark and Luke, Lord, and in other stories throughout, Lord, will be captured in our hearts. Lord, your spirit will do something within us. Lord, that will turn our hearts from ourselves but outwards. Lord, that these small acts of kindness that we see, Lord, will be multiplied through our lives, through the... 200 odd people in this room, Jesus, that you, together with us, will be able to change lives. Spirit, will you just come now? Lord, even right now, I pray that you'll just imprint things in our minds. Lord, challenge us. Lord, how can we make a difference? We're going to have some worship before the final song and I'll just ask if, if you know that you just need God to do something within your heart in this whole area just to come forward we'd love to pray for you as a ministry team or if you want to just trust God maybe for the first time come forward experience something of that generosity of God or if you want to renew it whatever it is what we don't want is for people to go away this morning feeling like they wanted to to be prayed for but they just they couldn't get up here you know, Please, if you know that you want a touch of God, if you want the Spirit of God again afresh and you, whatever it is, then please do come forward and experience that generosity that Christ promises in his word. Amen.